In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful. And may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad wa farja. Brothers, sisters, respected viewers, assalamu alaikum jami'an wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And thank you for joining us once again in this series, Life, the Islamic Answer, in which we're trying to extract principles and teachings from our religion that inshallah will allow us to live in this complex life based on the spirit of our religion. The theme that we're discussing right now is the theme of knowledge, knowledge and reason in Islam. And the topic that we've been talking about is the topic of sincerity. We said sincerity being one of the two conditions that will make knowledge in Islam Islamic. The other one being action and inshallah this will be the next topic in the series. Insha'Allah, the first part, the first section that has to do with sincerity is clear and that sincerity is a requirement for knowledge itself. For knowledge to be acquired in an Islamic way, there needs to be a sincere or good intention behind it. But beyond that, in general, and this is what we've been trying to do, to discuss the notion of sincerity or purity or goodness of intention in general in Islam as we will need that beyond just the acquisition of knowledge but to use that knowledge into action so we're going to need the notion of sincerity for everything that will follow from this point on inshallah once we're done this part of the series and so we're taking a little bit of time now to take a more in-depth look at the notions of intention and sincerity, niyyah and ikhlas. The, one of the big topics or subtopics or subheadings that we've been talking about is that which will allow us to understand what is this notion of intention or sincerity of intention and therefore its importance in our religion. And I think that part is inshallah clear. But as we looked at these narrations that explain this notion of the importance of sincerity and the importance of intention and in religion, we saw that some of the narrations made clear that to have purity of intention is the purpose, is the point of faith and the point of religion. Secondly, we saw that this notion of purity of intention, having good intentions all the way to sincerity, all the way to ikhlas, has many, many levels. It's a very wide or very broad or large spectrum. And this is in fact going to be the determining criteria. This is going to be the distinguishing feature between those who are closest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If there's one area of competition between people, this is it. It's the area of sincerity. It's the area of intentions behind the actions. Not so much the actions in themselves. As important as actions are. And inshallah, we're going to talk in depth about actions in the next topic, as we said. 
part of the importance of intentions was also that having intention and having the right intention can transform every act into an act of worship. So if this is done properly, your entire life becomes one continuous state of worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And inshallah we'll develop these notions later in the series too. And then finally we added to this that if what we're saying holds and it's true and we understand it, then this should also have ramifications on the more practical aspect of our lives, which is to live a life that is, we refer to it as an intentional life. We live life intentionally. We have an intention behind everything that we do. We don't just follow along. We're not sheeple. We don't follow blindly whatever the latest craze and the latest bandwagon and the latest popular fad happens to be, this is what we do. We have to think about what we're doing. Otherwise, I would not be able to have an intent. I need to think about what I'm about to do. How does this fit into everything else that is supposed to be part of my lifestyle, that is supposed to be part of my identity, my values? If I have this reflection... This means that I cannot just live my life in some random way where I'm simply taken, directed, pulled and pushed in all sorts of ways in life. I live my life with intent. I live an intentional life. And inshallah, we will also come back to this notion later in this series. The last two topics that we began and the last couple of times that we met began with the notion of the quality versus quantity discussion. So we got to this point by saying, now we understand that intention is really important. But just how important is it? So what we can compare it to is action. Which is more important, intention or action? And as we started going through the narrations, it was starting to become very clear that intentions are much more important than actions. And there are numerous narrations that we went through in this regard. For instance, the, the idea that right? to summarize everything that we talked about when we were comparing this quantity versus quality discussion. And then we began kind of a subtopic in there to see, okay, how much more important is intention as compared to action? Is it to the point where we can say all that matters is intention and sincerity of intention? Can we actually say that? And we touched on this. We didn't finish this topic. We covered perhaps half of it last time. But perhaps one of the narrations that summarizes all of this was one from Imam Sadiq salam, I think, in which he was saying, Right? He was talking about what is... Uh, the, the difference between uh, action and intention. And so the Imam initially said how important it is to have good actions. Whenever you're having performing good actions, how important it is to have good intentions. And then the Imam elevated the rank of intention even more by saying, Okay, so it's as though there is nothing beyond, there is nothing after this sincerity of intention. 
right? Everything is summarized in the sincerity of intention. What is the intention behind it? So we covered about half of that topic until now. Inshallah, today we have time to finish it. We'll try. I'll try to keep the, the comments uh, to a minimum today so that we can cover a little bit more of the narrations we have. We do have a lot to cover. And inshallah, we finish this one and then we try to finish the next subtopic too. The next to- subtopic, I thought I put together the narrations that I think give us a clearer idea of what it is and what it is not. When we say intention, what is intention? What does it look like practically? And so one way to also understand this is to say what it is not, right? By the affirmative and the negative. The, so let's continue where, where we left off. The first narration is from the Holy Prophet ﷺ, in which he says, So there are a number of narrations, especially from the Holy Prophet ﷺ, in the same vein, talking in the same way. Uh, in a number of them, a battle, a specific battle is mentioned. In others, there is no battle mentioned. So the Holy Prophet is either there after the battle is done or on the way back, for instance, and he's talking to his companions. And he tells them, قَدْ تَرَكْتُمْ بِالْمَدِينَةِ أَقْوَامًا مَا سُرْتُمْ مَسِيرًا وَلَا أَنْفَقْتُمْ مِنْ نَفَقَةٍ وَلَا قَطَعْتُمْ مِنْ وَادٍ إِلَّا وَهُمْ مَعَكُمْ So he tells them, you have left behind in Medina people who have been with you. So obviously those are people still in Medina. The Holy Prophet is very far. In some narrations, for instance, he was at Tabuk, right? Very close to, on the, uh, between Saudi and, and Jordan, right? So the Holy Prophet is saying, you have left behind in Medina people who have been with you in every part of the journey and everything that you have given and every valley that you have crossed, right? So they're participating every step of the journey with you. قَالُوا يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ وَكَيْفَ يَكُونُونَ مَعَنَا وَهُمْ بِالْمَدِينَةِ If they are still in Medina and we are here, we've traveled, we are the ones putting in all this effort, they're very polite in how they're asking, we're the ones doing all the work, and the Holy Prophet is basically saying these people are participating in all of the, the rewards. Every step you take, they're taking that step with you. So the Holy Prophet says, the companion said, O Messenger of God, how can they be with us when they are in Medina? He said, they were held back by illness. That's one narration. And in the other narration, the Holy Prophet simply answers, Niyatuhum. So if you put these two narrations together, you get the full explanation. And this brings us back to the notion that have intentions, but have sincere intentions. Those people who are left in Medina are getting all the rewards as though they are traveling, as though they are doing everything that these companions of the Prophet are doing. Every step of the way, the Holy Prophet says, they are with you, they're participating with you. But in the first narration, he says there's something holding them back. In this case, these people were ill. They could not be part of the journey. In the second narration, he says, Niyatuhum, their intentions how can they be with us when they're in Medina? His answer is their intentions. In their intent, they are sincere in their intent that if they were given the opportunity, they would definitely be with us. But in this case, they were ill. So have the intent, but if something then prevents you from doing what that which you're intending to do, the Holy Prophet here, practically in this example, he's saying you get the full reward. 
right? Even though the act is not performed, the deed is not performed. But here there's a valid reason, right? There is something holding these people back. We're going to go through the narrations and look at these different reasons. And in the second, the second narration is actually from Nahj al-Balagha, Sermon 12. In this one, Imam Ali alayhi salam, this is after the battle of Jamal. After the battle of the camel in which Imam Ali alayhi salam was victorious, one of his companions came to Imam Ali alayhi salam and he tells him, قَدْ قَالَ لَهُ بَعْضُ أَصْحَابِهِ وَدِدْتُ أَنَّ أَخِي فُلَانًا كَانَ شَاهِدَنَا لِيَرَى مَا نَصَرَكَ اللَّهُ بِهِ عَلَىٰ أَعْدَائِكِ He tells him, I wish my brother so-and-so had been present and he too would have seen the success and the victory that God has given you. In other words, that he would have also participated with us. فَقَالَ لَهُ عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامِ The Imam alayhi salam asks him, he said, أَهَوَىٰ أَخِيكَ مَعَنَا Is the heart of your brother with us, is your brother one of our followers in his heart? He's not here present physically, but is he with us in heart, in spirit, in inclination? He said, yes. So the Imam answers, In that case, he is with us. He has participated with us. It's as though he is with us. But then the Imam adds something. He says, وَلَقَدْ شَهِدَنَا in fact, the Imam adds, in fact, in this army of ours, there are people who are still in the loins of men and the wombs of women who are witnessing and who are participating with us. The Imam says, where are these people? The Imam says, there are people who are not born yet. They will be born in the future. But they are with us right now in this battle. And he adds, With time, time is going to make them appear. And they will, or and religion will be strengthened by them. Faith will be strengthened by them once they appear, those people. They're not here yet. So the Imam is going much further here than people who are there and who are held back by a circumstance. The Imam is now talking about people who don't exist, apparently, to anyone there except to the Imam, who says they will be born. They're not here yet, but they will be born one day. And those are going to be people who are going to support this religion and make this religion stronger. Religion becomes stronger as a result of them. So the Imam says, all of those people are joining us in this battle. All of them have been rewarded for this battle. All of them are participating with us in this battle and none of them are there. So it goes way beyond the brother of this companion of the Imam who wishes he could have been there but he wasn't. The Imam is talking about something very different here. And this is going to open the door, inshallah, you're going to see it as a theme throughout the, the narrations. The door to the importance of aligning ourselves theologically. So here, the on one side, you have to understand, before I jump into the theology, there's a layer here of history. 
for me to be part of this battle, I need to know of this battle. If I were to be put in that situation, would I be joining what is right, the side of right or not? And this is something very easy and cheap to say today. This requires a good, thorough self-examination. I need to really think, look in the mirror and think if I were put in that situation, which means I have to sit and read that battle and understand the context. If things were so black and white and so easy for everyone to follow the truth, then everybody would have joined Imam Ali salam. What is going on that makes some people not join the Imam? Where would I have ended up? Which camp would I have joined? Is it very clear to me? Inshallah it is, and inshallah I am those of about whom the Imam is talking here. And he's saying those people are all with us. They're getting the reward because their intentions are with us. Right? So this requires, on our part, this is one of the reasons, and inshallah we'll come back to it later when we talk about history. This is in part one of the reasons why we study history. So that I can self-assess, I can examine myself, I understand in times of difficulties, I may not be going through these types of difficulties today. I have my own circumstances, I have my own life. What would have happened if I was there? And if you do in-depth study of theology, and if everything we're saying is well understood, this whole notion of niyyah is basically what determines where you end up in the afterlife. Before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to decide what to do with me, He's going to look at my intent, at my intentions. Where would I have been in different circumstances, in different situations? There are narrations that explain there's a very big argument or debate or question in theology about how come is it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can punish eternally or reward with eternal good something that has happened in this life and that is limited in time. And one of the answers that are given by our imams is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows in that narration, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that if he were to give an eternal life in this world to someone whether that person would worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala eternally or not. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that in your intent, if he were to give you an eternal life, you will live that eternal life in disobedience and in sin, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is justified in punishing you based on your intent. Because what matters is your intent. You're getting rewarded or punished based on intent. And the opposite, if he knows that you will live that life eternally in obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then he will reward you with eternal happiness based on your intent. Okay, so this goes very far. Inshallah, the point is clear. We won't spend too much more time on it. This is also something, this notion that the Imam is talking about, in that case it's a real circumstance, a practical reality that the Imam is talking about. We see this notion in a number of our ziyarat. In one of them, there's a narration. This one I have from Al-Mazar Al-Kabir, a book called Al-Mazar Al-Kabir. This is 
one of ziyarat al-jamia it's called the ziyara jamia where you where you uh, perform a salutation of all of the imams at once they're referred to as ziyara jamia so one of them if you go to the uh, the rituals the ad'iya the ziyarat that are recited in masjid al-kufa you have this this part it says فَنَحْنُ نَشْهَدْ This is what you would recite as a ziyara. فَنَحْنُ نُشْهِدُ اللَّهِ أَنَّا قَدْ شَارَكْنَا أَوْلِيَاءَكُمْ وَأَنصَارَكُمُ الْمُتَقَدِّمِينَ So may God be our witness that we have participated with your earlier followers and supporters. You're telling the imams. You want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bear witness that you have participated, you yourself, have participated with the Followers and the supporters of the imams who were before you earlier, who were at the times of the imams, who participated in what those followers, وَأَنْصَارَكُمُ الْمُتَقَدِّمِينَ فِي إِرَاقَةِ دِمَاءِنَّا كِثِينَ وَالْقَاسِطِينَ وَالْمَارِقِينَ وَقَتَلَتِ أَبِي عَبْدِ اللَّهِ سَيِّدِ شَبَابِ أَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ يَوْمَ كَرْبَلَاءِ So this is, you're reciting this, you say, May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be our witness that we were participating with those of your supporters and followers in fighting against the betrayers, those who transgressed with injustice. The betrayers are nakithin, right? These are titles that the Holy Prophet gave to Imam Ali alayhi salam. He told him that after me, you are going to be the one fighting those three groups of people, those who will betray and lie and those who will commit an injustice and transgress, qasitin and marqin, those who leave, those who exit. Al-Mariq is to those who leave and go out, the exiters, who are the khawarij, and those who committed the injustices are Muawiyah and Ahl sham and those who betrayed and who lied are the people who gave their allegiance to the Imam, and then betrayed Talha and Zubair and others who joined the Battle of the Camel. Right. So the Holy Prophet simply gave that title to the Imam in multiple occasions, he told him that after me you shall be the one fighting these three groups of people. So we're asking Allah to, subhanahu wa ta'ala to bear witness that we have joined those who fought as though we were there with Imam Ali alayhi salam fighting those three wars that he had. As though we were there with the supporters of Imam al-Hussein alayhi salam in Karbala. Right? And those who abandoned and the killers of the master of the youth of paradise on the day of Karbala were we there? No, let's be accurate. We were not there physically, but we were there in our intention and in our hearts. Right? So, we were there in our intentions and our hearts. We were there along with your followers. And through our regret that we have missed those stands. And for not being of those who attended to support you. So we're saying we were present, but we were present in intent. We were present in heart, spiritually. And we also want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us a reward for something else. So we were present. So there's a theological, intentional point. One. And two, for how you feel. For regretting for being in grief, for being saddened, for not having been, have, having been given this opportunity. Right? I want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give me reward, to recognize that I would have been with them 
and to recognize the feeling that I have in my heart, that I truly regret not having been there. Right? So this is, there are two p- positions here. One of them is your belief, is your intent. There is a niyyah. There's, with it, where's your heart? And then the second one is, you want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to recognize how you feel. Your emotions carry a significance here. We're going to come back to this. That's why I'm mentioning it. Okay? The next narration from the Holy Prophet sallallahu He says, um, so this is something that happened at the time of the Holy Prophet. Uh, two companions came to the Holy Prophet arguing. So what happened is, so one of them is the one who reports this narration. He says, there was a companion who took out some money to give to those who are poor and the needy as, a, as an act of charity. And he left it with a man at the mosque. Okay, so كان أبا يزيد أخرج دنانير يتصدق بها فوضعها عند رجل في المسجد. So the narrator says, I came to the mosque. His name is Ma'an. So this companion says, I got to the mosque. I found the money with this man, and I took it. So he felt that he was a man in need. He wanted that money. He took it. When the first companion saw him. He says, when the first companion saw him, he said, I swear that I did not mean to give it to you. So obviously he thought this, this man of the companions is not the most needy. Perhaps he wants to, to keep it for someone needier. He didn't think that this is a person who's going to get it. So he said, biha. So when he saw me with it, he said, فخاصمهو. So they argued. They went into a bit of an argument and they went to the Holy Prophet to resolve what just happened. So the Holy Prophet said to them, فَقَالْ لَكَ مَا يَا يَزِيدُ وَلَكَ مَا أَخَذْتُ يَا مَعَنْ So basically, both of them got what they wanted. For the first one, the Holy Prophet tells him, as for you, you have received what you intended. You intended to give this to someone who is needy. That's it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards you for that intent. Whether you think this person is the neediest or not, that's now besides the point. Because your intent was that this goes to someone who is needy. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards you for your intent. And as for you who took it, you are also someone who is needy. So the Holy Prophet tells him, and as for you, and as for you, you get to keep what you took. Okay? The next hadith, عن حب العراني. So the, he was one of the closest companions to Imam Ali السلام, And now he's talking about the Imam, when the Imam was a Khalifa. He tells us this one story. He says, قسم علي عليه السلام بيت مال البصرة على أصحابه Says Imam Ali السلام, this is after a battle. The Imam goes to the treasury and he separates and he takes out bunches of sacks of 500 apiece and he distributes it among the companions. And he took 500 as one of them. He gave to himself the same, even though he's a Khalifa, he gave to himself the same as everybody else. فَجَاءَهُ إِنسَانٌ لَمْ يَحْضَرِ so someone who did not participate in the battle came to the imam 
after all of this and he tells him فقال يا أمير المؤمنين كنت شاهدا معك بقلبي so imagine you are the Khalifa and someone comes after the battle and tells you I was with you in my heart okay so and then so he continues he doesn't stop there you know it's not an indirect request he says كنت شاهدا معك بقلبي وإن غاب عنك جسمي فأعطني من الفيء شيئا okay so he tells him I was with you in my heart even though my body physically I was absent from from the battle فأعطني من الفيء شيئا so please give me something of the spoils of the war فدفع إليه الذي أخذه لنفسه وهو خمسمائة درهم ولم يصد من الفيء شيئا so the imam did not go back and take 500 to give him. The imam gave him his own 500 and he did not take anything himself. Imam Ali And so here there's, we could spend the whole lecture on this one instance, but very quickly, of course, there's a lot that we can say about Imam Ali as a khalifa and how he is acting as a khalifa. And from there, we can also extract leadership lessons and leadership in Islam. Okay, so the modesty, the humility, the manner in which he's approaching this, the justice and equity and transparency, and so on and so forth. Secondly, without looking at Khalifa or not, the manners of the Imam. The Imam did not even argue with this person, that I would say is kind of being impolite and rude and making a very strange request. The Imam could have dealt with this in a number of ways. The Imam did not even argue with him, dispute his claim, pushback, that's one part. And to me, the most astonishing part of this is the fact that the imam simply gives him his own 500. The imam could have gone back and given him 500 if he wanted to. He could have given him a 500 from Beit al-Mal, from the treasury. And the imam gets to keep his own 500 fair and square. But the imam did not do that. He basically did a double thawab for himself, if not more than it's double plus, right? There is a part of this that is leadership. There's a lesson of leadership here that the imam is teaching. These people now know what kind of khalifa they have. That's one. But beyond that, as a, at a more individual level, as him, as the imam, when he gives him his own 500, on the one side, now we know there's a lesson here. There's a recognition from the imam that this person is going to get a reward for their intent. And two, the imam now paid out of pocket for this person. He gave him his own 500. The imam now did an act of charity. He did not reward him from the treasury. He gave him his own 500 and he took nothing. Right? So you see how the imam used that. I would say this, this is where you see how the imam distinguishes himself. Where everything becomes an opportunity. The opportunity, is, it's not simply someone comes and I'm a khalifa and so I go back and I pay him and now he's happy. He's a subject in the kingdom and he's happy. He got what he asked for and everything was done. No, no, I'm going to turn it into something that I'm going to milk the opportunity for the maximum thawab that I can get out of it. I will give him my own 500 and this way, check mark for everything else. And also that I also get the full charity for this person because I'm paying out of pocket for him. 
And I'm not going to go and take another 500 because that will cancel it out. Okay? So, the next hadith from Imam Sadiq alayhi salam, he says, There might be a servant who intends during the day to stand and worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to pray at night. So his eyes fail him and he falls asleep and he stays asleep during the night. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will register that prayer for him. And he will write or record his breathing as tasbih, as glorification. And he will consider his sleep an act of charity. All of this, why? Because he intended to pray. Of course, if he actually gets up and prays, he will get a lot more reward than this. Because this is in the case that he failed to get up because his eyes failed him, as the Imam says, because he was not able to wake up. He was too tired, for instance. But the intent was there. If he could have, he would have. But he did not. Okay, so in the same line as what we've been describing until now, there are a number of narrations in this regard. The next narration from the Holy Prophet He tells him, Ya Aba Dhar, Himma bil hasanati wa inlam ta'amalha, likay la tuktaba minal ghafilin. Intend to do the righteous deed, the good action, even if you do not end up doing it. Why? So that you are not considered, you are not deemed to be in a state of heedlessness. You are not ghafil. You remain in a state of dhikr. You remain in a state of remembrance. How? Through the intent. Because you're constantly thinking, I will do this and I will do that and I will not do this and I will not do that. It means that you are always in a state of remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the Holy Prophet tells him, he's teaching Abu Dhar a trick. He's telling him, you do this and you, in practice, in practice, in reality, you never fall into a state of heedlessness. You remain in a state of remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only through your intent. Even if you do not end up doing those things which you intend to do. And this is very important. That which state are you in? And this is a, there's a link. We haven't talked about our normal state. There will be a hadith today that touch on this idea of what's your normal state? Ordinarily, all of us, we may have a state where now you are focused, you are about to perform an act of worship. Okay, so now you're entering a state. But what's your normal state? Are you in a state of completely forgetting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Can you do things where you don't fall into that state entirely? So here these are tricks from the Holy Prophet We mentioned a couple of narrations until now from the Holy Prophet to Abu Dhar. It's all part of a big wasliya, right? These are parts of it that we keep taking from. This is another one. And the first one, if you remember, the Holy Prophet was telling Abu Dhar, make sure you have an intent, you have an intention for everything you do, including when you eat and when you sleep. Right? In this case, he's telling him, make sure that you have an intent to perform good deeds all the time, even though 
you know that you may not end up doing all of them. And this will keep you out of being falling into a state of غفله من الغافلين. Okay? The next hadith from the Holy Prophet in which he says, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prescribed or decided or assigned those things which are considered hasanat, righteous, virtuous, good deeds, and those that are sins or bad deeds, evil deeds, wasayat. Then he explained all of this to everyone. Here the Holy Prophet is going to explain, he's going to put our intents and our actions in four categories. You intend. So if someone intends to do a good deed and does not end up doing it, does not do it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will record that intent to do good as a full hasana, as a full righteous deed. But then this person who intended to do good actually does the good. He gets to doing that which he intended to do. If he does uh, perform the righteous deed, كَتَبَهَ اللَّهُ لَهُ عِنْدَهُ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will record that act that he has now performed. عَشْرْ حَسَنَاتِ إِلَى سَبْعْمَاءَتْ ضَعْفِ إِلَى أَضْعَافٍ كَثِيرًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will consider that act now worth tenfold of the hasana that you got already a hasana for because of your intent up to 700 folds and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala multiplies beyond that that's what the Holy Prophet is saying as for the one who intends to do an evil deed but does not actually perform the deed that he intended to do this is an evil deed, this is a sin the Holy Prophet says Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will record it for this person as a full hasana. You intend to do evil, but you did not end up doing the evil. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you a hasana for it because you didn't do it. You're getting a reward for the negative act that you were to do. Now some of you are probably doing some calculations that I'm not going to get into. We always come come back to the notion of sincerity, right? You intend to do bad, but you, in the end, you do not do the bad. You do not do the sin. You do not disobey, even though you intended to disobey. You, at the end, do not disobey. You get a reward for that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is rewarding you for not having gone through with your bad intention. And then, فَإِنْ هُوَ هَمَّ بِهَا فَعَمِلَهَا And then later, if he actually goes ahead with it, he proceeds and he performs the deed, the bad deed, the disobedience, the sin. كَتَبَهَ اللَّهُ لَهُ سَيِّئَةً وَاحِدَةً Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will record it, will register this as a single سَيِّئَةً as a single sin. Okay, there's a discussion that we had for those who were 
following or not in the series on beliefs, towards the very end of the series in the topic of the afterlife, there's a question, it's a philosophical question that we can ask. When we go through the different verses, the different narrations and arguments for the justification for reward and punishment, one of the things that we can encounter is this question. So at the end, did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala create this world, this universe, in a way that is neutral, so that it is as easy, it's equidistant, as they say, is a human being right in the middle between doing good and doing bad? Are you as prone to doing good and being rewarded and going to heaven as you are to commit sins and end up in hell? Is it that type of fairness? And so we had explained it through theology and through different narrations at that time, and we said absolutely not. And for those who remember, we went through a distinction of how Al-Ash'ari views the world, how difficult it is, he says, for someone to end up still being a good person, leave this world actually being good. And then what Imam Sajjad answered, he said, Ajibt, for the person, I am surprised if the person who does not save their soul and end up in heaven, how they do not end up in heaven. That was the answer of Imam Al-Sajjad, because Al-Ash'ari says, I'm surprised of the person who is in this world and who ends up not in hell, how they do not end up in hell, because it's so easy to end up in hell. So the Imam answered by opposition. He said, no, he has it understood, he has understood it completely upside down. These are types of narrations that fall directly in that. If you see how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is dealing with human beings, if you're doing some simple arithmetic calculations here, it's difficult to come back and say it's neutral. It's not neutral. It's rigged. The game is entirely in your favor as a human being. Everything is being counted to your advantage. It's much easier for you to end up doing the good and end up in heaven than to end up in hell and to end up with sins and disobedience. Everything is being used as an excuse to give you more reward, more thawab. Everything is being used as an excuse to remove your sayyah, to remove your sins. You simply have to go a little bit in that direction. You intend to do bad, but you don't do it, you're getting a hasana. I don't know what else can, can be done to tell human beings things are a lot more in your favor than you think. And I'm not going to spend time on where the Holy Prophet says, once the human being actually goes ahead with the intent to do good and does good, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala multiplies the reward by 10 to 700, right? This is in reference to the verse in Surah Al-Baqarah, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, مثلو, uh, 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 um, Now I have a blank for the beginning of the verse. I remember the middle of it. Thank you. 
So yeah, so this is a, the, the famous verse that is often quoted, uh, often used, the example of those, the parable of those who actually spend, who give in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then there is the mention of the 700 in the verse. So this is a reference to it. There are 10, the, the one seed is going to give you 10, and the 10 are going to give you 700. And then beyond that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will multiply the rewards for whomever he wishes. You have the same idea or the same notion here in the hadith. The next hadith from Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam, So, the servant of God who is needy, important condition, keep it in mind, the servant of God who is needy, a needy believer says, Ya Rabb, ارزقني حتى أفعل كذا وكذا من البر ووجوه الخير He prays to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, so he prays to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, O my Lord, provide for me, give me sustenance, give me wealth, give me money, so that I may do such and such uh, righteous deeds, acts of good. فَإِذَا عَلِمَ اللَّهُ عَزَّ وَجَلْ ذَلِكَ مِنْهُ بِصِدْقِنِيَّةٍ كَتَبَ اللَّهُ لَهُ مِنَ الْأَجْرِ مِثْلَ مَا يَكْتِبْ لَهُ لَوْ عَمِلَهُ if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that uh, what this person is saying is with truthful intentions, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will record it for him as he would if he had performed the act. And then the Imam adds, Inna Allah wasi'un kareem, and God is certainly all-encompassing, most generous. Here there is, you know, constant, there's a theme, inshallah, that is, you know, coming through very clearly that the intent is not for nothing. And we've talked about this in the past. I reiterate it, I repeat it. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards for something, this is not random. It's not just a matter of convention. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala simply decides, like we may decide, you know, you go through a red light and then the, 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 the fine is going to be, I don't know, $180. And then later it might be 250 or $50. This is a matter of convention. We simply decide together what we want to do as a society or we give that authority to someone. But tomorrow we could entirely cancel it and it's because it's not based on anything existential or real. When we say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is rewarding you for your intent and these are many examples of this, inshallah the, the connection that you're making or that you think about is that certainly there is something in the intent that is more than what we perhaps give it or attribute it in terms of significance. We don't see the significance or the importance or the worth or the value or the merit of the intent because we're physical, material creatures. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is rewarding you or punishing you for that intent, right? So what is it? There's something happening here that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, your intent is being rewarded. And for those who were again with us in the belief series, we said what happens in the afterlife is whatever you are, whatever you have put forward in this life is given back to you in itself. The intent has a reality that you may not feel, that you may not see, that you may not perceive, but it's there. Okay? Next hadith. From Imam Ali alayhi salam, this was in Nahj al-Balagha, Sermon 190. 
there's a context to this sermon, and this is simply that some of the companions of the Imam were getting very impatient to go into battle. They want to go and they want to fight Muawiyah, for instance. Unfortunately, when the Imam wanted them to fight, they would not fight. And when he would not want them to fight, they wanted to fight. And this was one example. And so they keep pressuring the Imam impatiently. They do things, they say things. They, they might create a situation that is very difficult to fix afterwards with what they're doing, with what they're saying for the Imam. But they're still going ahead with this. So at some point, the Imam, if you go back to Sermon 190, he talks about this. At the very end, there is this passage. So after this, he says, فَإِنَّهُ مَنْ مَاتَ مِنْكُمْ عَلَى فِرَاشِهِ So you can, now that you have the context, the Imam is basically telling them that it's not simply because now you feel like fighting, this is not the time to fight. Okay, so now the Imam is giving, you, giving them the, uh, uh, an alternative another way of seeing things. The Imam says, فَإِنَّهُ مَنْ مَاتَ مِنْكُمْ عَلَى فِرَاشِهِ If any of you end up dying without any fight, you die a normal death on your bed. وَهُوَ عَلَى مَعْرِفَةِ حَقِّ رَبِّهِ While this person has true knowledge of the right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon them, the right of God. وَحَقُّ رَسُولِهِ وَأَهْلُ بَيْتِهِ and this person has knowledge of the right of the messenger of God and his family members upon them. Mata shahida. This person who dies this normal death on their bed is considered a martyr. By your and my standards, what we consider a martyr. This is a true martyr, the Imam says. This is the person who is dying and who is considered the witness, right? That's the real definition of the martyr. The witness, the shaheed, the person who will bear witness in the afterlife of what is happening here in this world. And their reward has fallen upon God, which means they are secured to get their reward. And they have been deserving, and they become deserving of everything that they intended to do uh, of their righteous deeds. Right? So all of the righteous deeds that they ever intended to do, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give those for them. This part is not directly related, certainly for everything there is a time and a limit, or a time and an end or an appointment. And inshallah we're going to come back to this, but the, the, the sub-theme here that keeps coming back, that I don't highlight every time, this is the link with knowledge, once again. right? This person is dying a normal death, and the Imam says this person is dying a shaheed. Why? Because they carry knowledge. The knowledge they carry is the knowledge of knowing what is God's right, and the Messenger's right, and his Ahlul Bayt's right upon them. This equals, the Imam says, this equals dying a shaheed. You die a normal death, but you are considered a shaheed. And all of your good intents are considered as though you'd performed those deeds, whatever they may be. And this kind of wraps up the first topic. I'm going to start the second topic, but I'm, I don't know how far I'll get so that we don't spend too much time. The second topic that we wanted to talk about is now that, inshallah, it's clear 
how much more important intent is. In fact, many narrations seem to say that all that matters, with the caveats that we keep mentioning, all that matters is intent. Now we want to take a look at some narrations that give us a clearer idea of this notion of intent. What does it look like? What is it and what is it not? Okay? A first narration from Imam Sadiq salam he says, Man qala la ilaha illallah mukhlisan dakhalal jannah. Whoever says, whoever utters these words, la ilaha illallah, there is no God but God, there is no God but Allah, dakhalal jannah. They have entered paradise. But then the Imam adds, he explains, he says, wa ikhlasuhu, because he said, whoever said those words, man qala la ilaha illallah mukhlisan. Whoever says those words with sincerity, they have entered paradise. So now the Imam is going back to that word with sincerity. What is sincerity? So the Imam is going to define it here. He's going to say, This is how we know this person is sincere in saying, La ilaha illallah, wa ikhlasuhu an yahjuzahu, La ilaha illallah, amma harram Allahu azza wa jal. And his sincerity means that these words, La ilaha illallah, are going to prevent him, are going to hold him back from anything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made forbidden. Amma harram Allah. This is the meaning of saying La ilaha illallah with sincerity, which equals Jannah, the Imam says. We saw the same thing with Imam al-Rida alayhi salam, Hadith al-Silsal al-Dhahabiyyah, if you remember, when we talked about the golden chain narration in which the Imam says, قَوْلَ لَا إِلَهَا إِلَّا اللَّهِ حِصْنِي وَمَنْ دَخَلَ حِصْنِي أَمِنَ مِنْ عَذَابِي Right? You say, La ilaha illallah, you are secure, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. But the Imam said, but there's a condition to it. Which all of this brings us back to the notion that when in Islam we say there are words that are uttered, it's not really about the words. The words mean something more than the words. Because these words that the Imam is talking about, he says, whoever says, so you're uttering words, but you say it with sincerity, you have to mean it. The Imam says it's going to change entirely how you live your life. If you're doing this perfectly, if you're doing this fully, you're basically... The Imam here is saying this is going to fully keep you away from anything that is forbidden. This is the full extent of saying La ilaha illallah. So this also inshallah opens the door for us when we say something like, like La ilaha illallah. What does it really mean? What do we understand when we say La ilaha illallah? What's my intent? There is no God but Allah. What do I understand from this? The majority of us would say, I only worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But do I really? And the Quran talks about this. He says, there are people who worship themselves. There are people who worship their desires. Right? Have you seen the one who has taken his own whims and desires as his ilah, as his God? Very, very explicit. Sometimes we say, you know, we have to go to 
Sufism and Irfan to find these deeper notions. The, the Quran is he can it cannot be more explicit. Someone who worships their own desire, someone who worships their own wants and desires and whims. These are the two opposites or the two alternatives. You either accept Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as your God. The conclusion, the Imam says, if you you really mean it, the full meaning of it, if you are sincere when you say it, these all amount to the same thing, then this has to prevent you from doing anything that is a disobedience. It has to prevent you from those things which are forbidden by the one you just said is my God. Right? And inshallah, there's more details to come. Look at this hadith from the Holy Prophet which is kind of the shorter, ver the more detailed version of this shorter hadith that we just saw. This was part of one, some narrations say this was actually the last sermon that the Holy Prophet gave. And at least it was one of the last ones that the Holy Prophet gave, a long sermon, in which he says, Ya ayyuhan nas, innahu man azza wa jal, yashhadu Allah ilaha illallah. O people, truly, whoever meets his Lord, exalted is he, while bearing witness that there is no God but Allah, mukhlisan, with sincerity, so you meet your God saying this with sincerity, lam yakhlit ma'aha ghayraha, without mixing anything else with it, dakhala al-jannah. Very similar to what Imam Sadiq says. This person is guaranteed to enter paradise. فَقَامَ عَلِيُّ بْنُ أَبِي طَالِبَ عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامِ فَقَالْ Imam Ali السلام, was sitting amongst the people. He got up and he said, يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ بِأَبِي أَنْتَ وَأُمِّي كَيْفَ يَقُولُ مُخْلِصًا لَا يَخْلِطُ مَعَهَا غَيْرَهَا فَسِّرْ لَنَا هَذَا نَعْرِفَ So he tells him, he asked the Holy Prophet to explain this. He says, O Messenger of God, may my father and my mother be a ransom to you. How does one say these words? with sincerity, like you said, without mixing anything else with them, so that we may understand it. The Holy Prophet said, yes. فَقَالَ نَعَمْ حِرْصًا عَلَى الدُّنْيَا These are the things that you cannot mix up with it. Okay? حِرْصًا عَلَى الدُّنْيَا You crave this world. What else? وَجَمْعِهَا مِنْ غَيْرِ حِلِّهَا And hoarding, amassing and hoarding of this life, Without, from those things which are not licit, not permissible, not allowed. وَرِضًا biha. You're contented with this world. You're happy with this world. There is no afterlife. This is going to give you full happiness, full satisfaction. وَأَقْوَامٌ يَقُولُونَ أَقَاوِيلَ الْأَخْيَارِ And people who say the sayings of the virtuous, while their actions are the actions of those who are tyrants and who are immoral. So if someone meets their Lord without having any of these traits, So the Holy Prophet explained it by giving examples. He's saying someone who craves this world. Someone who hoards whatever they can from this world. 
Someone who forgets about the afterlife. Someone who lives in hypocrisy. You say things, but your actions don't meet those things. Those who perform injustice towards others. And finally, a lack of morals, right? Al-Fujjar. Those who are falling in these categories, the La ilaha illallah is not enough. You keep those categories out, and then La ilaha illallah becomes enough to secure paradise. The next hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam, there's two hadith, one from Imam Ali, one from the Holy Prophet in the same vein, short, Imam Ali alayhi salam says, Tamam al-ikhlas, tajannub al-ma'asi. And the Holy Prophet says, Tamam al-ikhlas, ijtinab al-maharim. Both of them are in the same vein. Perfect sincerity or complete sincerity is to avoid disobedience. One, disobedience of Allah, so sins, or ijtinabul maharim, those things which are forbidden. Same meaning. This is in short. So if anyone, and we have had the discussion, I said it will come, what does it look like in the outside world? Instead of focusing, we've been talking about ikhlas for weeks now, what does it actually look like? If we don't delve into these deep, abstract, theoretical discussions about ikhlas, what does it look like? The Holy Prophet, Imam Ali salam here, are answering very clearly. Ikhlas equals staying away from haram. If you have true intentions, sincerity of intention is what will keep you away from the haram. To the extent that that will keep you away, that's how much sincerity you have. That's what it looks like in practice. That's what it looks like in the outside world, not in the world of theory and ideas and abstract notions. And there's a hadith here from Imam Ali alayhi salam, and perhaps we'll stop after this. There's a hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam in which he says, كَيْفَ يَسْتَطِيعُ الْإِخْلَاصِ مَنْ يَغْلِبُهُ الْهَوَى How can one achieve sincerity, this rank, this stage, this level of purity of intent? How can one achieve Sincerity who is beaten by their desire. كَيْفَ يَسْتَطِيعُ الْإِخْلَاصِ مَنْ يَغْلِبُهُ الْهَوَى Everybody is talking about having higher ikhlas. The Imam is saying, and especially at that time, and we went through a number of narrations when we began to say this is the whole purpose of our religion. The purpose of worship the purpose of ibadah, the purpose of faith, the purpose of deen, the purpose of iman, and the purpose of deen, of religion. We saw many narrations in each case saying, and the purpose, the point, the objective of each one of these is ikhlas, to reach ikhlas, to reach ikhlas. So the imam says, but how can someone even aspire to, how can you dream of achieving ikhlas, achieving sincerity, when you are beaten by your own desire, when you fall prey to, when you lose the battle with your own desire. Right? كَيْفَ يَسْتَطِيعُ الْإِخْلَاصِ مَنْ يَغْلِبُهُ الْهَوَى 
And this is a very slippery slope, this whole notion of hawa. The notion of your desire. It's difficult to put an end. Once you go in that direction, it's very difficult to put an end, to put a term, to put a limit to how far you will go to please, to satisfy your hawa. And at the beginning, it will be satisfied with very little. With time, it will need a lot more. No matter what hawa it is. How far are you willing to go? And what will prevent you from continuing in that path? How can you start sliding in that direction and still go back to the notion that but I say there is no God but God. And I am only a slave and I am only a servant to God. The God that I recognize. While in truth I am sliding in my obedience, in my worship, I'm sliding towards my desire. Whatever desire it may be. A lot of this goes back simply to ego. A lot of this simply goes back to immediate satisfaction. Some of this goes back to weakness. Some of it goes back to perhaps obliviousness or lack of knowledge. We've been talking since the beginning about this whole idea of how does religion view humanity? What allows you to achieve your humanity? When you start slipping here, when you start losing the battle to your hawa, to your desire, you cannot be considered fully human. This is where you're falling prey to your psychology, your biology, Whatever faculties are within you, they're supposed to be under your control. But right now, you are under their control. And so, this is where you lose your humanity. This is your merit, your worth, your value, is in your discipline. How disciplined are you? How strong are you? How much power do you have over this hawa? So that you can actually go in the other direction of what we said is the only and ultimate purpose of your existence, your religion, your faith, your worship. All of it is supposed to be pushing you in the other direction. But then you have your hawa pulling you down. The Imam says, how can you move in that direction if you're listening to this other force pulling you away from it? The next series of hadith, um, there's too many of them to cover here, so I think we're going to stop here. The next series of hadith were simply meant to show what it is not. So we looked at some hadith and the emphasis that I tried to highlight, what it amounts to, what it looks like in practice is obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and staying away from disobeying Allah. That's what sincerity looks like. From the beginning we've been saying, what does it look like? What is this thing called ikhlas and purity of intent? What does it look like? This is what it looks like. Very simply, it means staying away from the things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to stay away from. Now, another way to understand it is to look at 
what it is not. And it's difficult for many of us to understand this because we've spent so much time and we have heard so much about the importance of rituals in our religion. And so a few narrations as a reminder and to really clarify this point, we've been talking about the importance of the intent, we've been talking about how intentions are more important than the rituals and the actions. Inshallah, with these few last narrations, we kind of wrap up the topic about what really matters is not the external appearance or the you know, physical movement that is part of a ritual, for instance. That is a means to an end, but that is not the end in itself. So inshallah, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the different worships, acts of worship, rituals that we have in our religion, and what is the relationship between those rituals and the intent behind them. Inshallah, this will wrap up the topic, and then we'll move to the next, last phase or the last subtopics in the topic of sincerity, and we'll wrap up that whole theme, inshallah. So let's stop here. If there are any questions, concerns, comments, uh, but for the lecture part, sallallahu ala sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi al-tayyibin al-tahirin. Any questions, concerns, comments? All good? Clear? So what do you what do you think about that dimension of time that is completely uh, removed as if time doesn't exist anymore? So it's an excellent remark, and you are absolutely right. Uh, 
and it highlights the one of the main differences between this world and the next. These are the, the things that condition this world, that put limits to this world. One of them is time and one of them is space. And these are things that we can't control. We're forced into them in this world. But this is what will be removed in the afterlife. This is part of what will be removed. There's other things. It's basically the structure of reality as we know it will no longer exist. There will be an, a new one. This is what we meant when we said it's a new structure, it's new laws, new ways of being that we can't really imagine until we are there. In part, and no one really talks about it this way, they talk about it in different ways. And inshallah, it will come up later in the series too. The notion, for instance, of love in Islam or feelings in general and how they link back to intention or intent or how you create a community. The community is not bound in time. The community that you create is a community based on belief. So you have something in common with someone who lived 5,000 years ago or who will live five, in 5,000 years. And this gives you strength to understand that you're not alone and this was a huge factor in the lives of prophets. The prophets understand that they are part of a chain. Now you may not see the other prophets with you right now, but you understand what you belong to, who you belong to, what group you're part of. But this is all based on this, on these notions. Inshallah, we're going to come back to it. This is part of the community topic. Inshallah, we're going to come back to it. But this is an excellent point that you're mentioning. It has ramifications in this world. You build a community in a very different way if you understand this. That the link I have with people is not for, there is of course an immediacy in space and time. And this has to be part of my duty and part of my understanding. I live with people right now. They have a right over me and I have a right over them. Because I share space with them and I share time with them. But the true community is not based on space and time. The true community is based on the things that are real. Those things are all conventions. Those things are all things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put in place as layers for this world to work. This world of limitations, and these are the biggest limitations, space and time. These will be removed in the afterlife. What will they be replaced with? I don't know. They will be replaced with something. Will exist, and it's difficult for us to imagine any type of existence outside of these will exist but it will certainly not be this space and this time everything points to that everything right from the first verses that talk about yom al-qiyamah and how it is right a day here is 50000 years there this notion of time is different space is completely different the things that are close Far, the things that are far close it's not built on because it's supposed to be built on real this world is not on real it's not based on things that are existentially real Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has added layers to this world to make it work in a certain way to give this structure because in his wisdom this is the world we need as human beings to go through to achieve whatever we're supposed to achieve it has to be material and for it to be material, it has to be bound in time and space. This is part of the test. 
This is what makes it the perfect test. But those things are not required in the afterlife. So all of those are removed. And all that's really left, which is impossible to really understand until we go there, but all that is left in the afterworld is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the relationship between creatures and Allah. That is it. That is it. So to know that there's only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is the ultimate truth, is what will be manifested in the afterlife. Everything in the afterlife is a derivative of this. When we see this world, this is not what it is. You have to get through a lot of layers to get to that. This is a deeper notion in this world. You have to do a lot of work. In the afterlife, this is the only reality that will be there. You don't have to be, you're not choosing to be a believer or not a believer in the afterlife. This will be the only reality that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the truth. That's it. There's nothing else. That's your afterlife. So of course, notions of time and space disappear in the afterlife. But it has ramifications in this world for those who understand it. Excellent question. This is an excellent uh, remark, sister. I will repeat it in case someone didn't hear it. Um, I have nothing to add to this. It's a perfect remark in itself. And that, uh, and we emphasized, and we didn't explain, but we emphasized in the ziyara the notion that we are associating with the previous imams. We are associating with, based on our intents, we are being supporters. We want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to recognize us as supporters and followers of the previous imams. But we also have a duty now. We have an imam now. And we have a future. And so this has to be part of the reflection too. That in my intents, I am also a supporter and follower of, and this joins the comment that you made, uh, Brother Ayman, that uh, it joins the comment that the, the association is not built on Time. You have to remove the notion of time. It's based on something else. This is what creates a community. And the community extends in the future as well as in the past. This is an excellent remark, sister. Thank you for that. Any other questions, comments, concerns? We're good? Atfadla. Mentioned the, uh, how we can tell sincere uh, by uh, one of the conditions is not just committing 
Okay, so the question is, uh, what about people who do not ascribe to our specific uh, faith, our theological structure, our theological teachings? Can they rank somewhere on this uh, continuum or on this spectrum of ikhlas? Especially since we defined it now with something very practical. And of course, this is not the full definition of ikhlas. This is a really good example of it, but it's not the full example. Um, in short, they can rank for sure on, on the scale of ikhlas. Inshallah, we're going to come to a hadith, and I think this is the answer to the question. Again, it's not a perfect answer. But we're going to come to a hadith that basically says, man asaba sunnah. Inshallah, the next time we're going to talk about it. So this is a condition that you have a niyyah, but the niyyah has to meet or be aligned with a sunnah, the sunnah of the Holy Prophet If it meets that condition, so to say something is not enough, it has to lead to an action. An action is not enough, it has to have an intent. An intent is not enough unless to see the sunnah, unless it aligns with, it matches with sunnah, the tradition of the Holy Prophet How do we understand this? And that was exactly what I wanted to talk about there. I think there's two ways to understand asab as-sunnah, to be aligned with the tradition of the Holy Prophet. There's a weak and a strong alignment. The weak alignment is that by chance, by accident, and randomly, you do something and it matches the truth. Not because you necessarily intended to, but it happens that you did not contradict the truth. You fell in the truth. That's a weak form of asaba. And then you have the strong form of asaba, which is, I do it because I intend to. And those two, it's not a dichotomy, it's not a, a binary uh, yes or no. This is a huge spectrum of asaba. To what extent to sleep? Because my contention is going to be that this is based on your level of knowledge. The extent to which it's not only a, simply about someone who is outside of my system of belief, even with my, within my system of belief. If people have very different levels of knowledge, their isaba is not at the same level. When they perform the act, the two people, one person may understand what prayer is and the other understands completely differently what prayer is. This is not the same level of isaba of sunnah, of matching, of being aligned with, the truth, right? So can people still achieve a certain level of ikhlas based on this and no other conditions? Yes, they can. Now, we would need other external conditions to see how valid is it and so on and so forth. But this on its by itself, yes, of course. So long as you're not contradicting, you can meet, you can uh, 
achieve a certain level of sincerity based on the practical definition that you're not disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, at least based on your intentions, by your definition of what is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and how to obey Him and how not to obey Him, you can certainly achieve that. But we believe the truth to be this sunnah that the Holy Prophet says, my sunnah. Or the Imams say, and we saw an, an, at least one narration last time that talked about this. Imam Sadiq, I think, was talking about this. When he defined ibadah, when he said ibadah, and while it's the intent to perform the good, husn while at the same time meeting or matching the sunnah, within the sunnah, you don't come up with your own religion, basically. That's what we said. So inshallah we're going to come back to that but that's my short answer to it. Wa sallallahu ala sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi at-tayyibin at-tahirin.